Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that I've lost over 200 pounds? Well, it's true. In my adult life, actually, I've lost well over 200 pounds, but I've gained, the problem is, I've gained about 230 How many times in my adult life have I concluded, come to the conclusion, I'm too heavy? And then it's been keto, and it's been South Beach, and it's been Slim Fast, and it's been Noom, and it's been sugar-free, and it's been smaller portions, and it's been no eating after dinner. And every time I'd lose 12 or so and gain 15. Or one time, just over a year ago, I lost 25 and gained 27. Well, it seems to be the story of my life, but I got on the scale just a couple of weeks, three, about three weeks ago, and the scale read, well, never mind what it read, but it was the biggest number ever. And so for two weeks, I've been eating nothing that's white. Think about that. Nothing that's white, flour, bread, sugar, and... Uh, Nothing that's white. And I'm down about 15 since then. But if it's to stay off, I'll need more than a temporary diet. It's true for me, anyway. I'll need a lifestyle adjustment. I'll need a new approach. I'll need a fresh start. Well, speaking of fresh starts, as I was traveling late yesterday afternoon, I realized that I need a fresh start in another area in my life. I received this message while traveling. Here's what it said. Hi, John. It's Scott and Sherry Kroll. It's January 22nd. And on January the 22nd, 1997, our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 25 years ago today, And I'm just calling you to say thank you for sharing the gospel with us way back then. I realized then as I listened to that message and reflecting on what I would share with you this day that there was a time in my life when my passion for helping people come to Christ maybe was deeper than it is today and my practice more consistent. So... I realize that I need a fresh start. Do you? You know, the truth is, in this whole matter of helping people come to Jesus, most of us feel less than adequate for the task. And if we were honest, most of us would feel that we're maybe less than successful in most of our attempts. And the truth is, too, we often make excuses. Well, it's really... It's really not my gift. Or I'm I'm an introvert, really. It's very difficult for me to speak. It's easy for some. Or it's the pastor's job. Or sometimes we rationalize and say, well, you know, I think I'll just be silent uh, right now. It's, It's better to say nothing than risk offending someone. But maybe if we understood better what it means to be a witness. And maybe if we better understood 
how we can all be a more effective witness and in, in be a, a help in bringing people to Christ, maybe we would look at this whole matter of sharing our faith less like a trip to the dentist for a root canal and more like a visit to a massage therapist. Have you tried that? You should if you haven't. Do you need a fresh start in helping bring people to Jesus? Well, come with me now for these next moments, and we'll begin in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus speaks his last words. Now, if someone's going to speak their last words, and they know it's their last words, they'll be important words, vital words. This is the case with Jesus. Here's what he, after speaking, Acts chapter 1, verse 9 says, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And what were his last words? Well, here they are, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when, my, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Those words are spoken to the disciples. They're recorded in the Scriptures, and therefore they're spoken to every person down through the centuries, and still today, anyone who's ever claimed the name of Jesus or is following him today. His words, you will be my witnesses. And the next five words simply define what a witness does. Here's how simple it is. Telling people about me everywhere. Well, Jesus, it appears then, Jesus' last words give us all an assignment. I would like to be a more effective witness, wouldn't you? I want to help people come to know Jesus. So come with me these next moments, and we're going to visit four effective witnesses from John chapter 1 and John chapter 4. We're starting in John chapter 1 and verse 35, and this first effective witness is John the Baptist. Here's what we read. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. The second effective witness of the four is Andrew. Still, we're in John 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Third effective witness, his name is Philip. We're still in John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael, his friend, and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph, Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip replied, come and see for yourself. And the fourth effective witness is a woman whose name we don't know, a woman at a well in Samaria. Jesus was waiting by this well for his disciples who had gone into town for some food, and he engaged this woman in conversation. 
John 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. John the Baptist, Philip, Andrew, and this Samaritan woman were all effective witnesses. So what can we learn from them that would help give every one of us a fresh start in this matter of helping people come to meet Jesus? Well, let me share five things. To be an effective witness, number one, hear this now, it isn't possible unless you've met Jesus. Isn't possible unless you've met Jesus. Did you notice all four of our witnesses met Jesus? John, Andrew, Philip, and the Samaritan woman all spoke of a personal encounter with Christ. They all said, we have found the Christ. We meant him. Come and see. Now, perhaps some of you hearing my voice are thinking, but yes, Pastor John, but back in those days, Jesus was here in the flesh, and you could meet him. But come on, you still can. Still today, still today, the effective witness says, one day I invited Jesus into my life, come in to take over my life, and he did. He placed his spirit in me. I meant Jesus. To witness effectively, it isn't possible unless you've met Jesus. Oh, yes, you can have a religious discussion. You can talk about Jesus. You can speak of his unique life. You can brag on his great teachings. You can assess his impact on history, and you can invite folk to church where he's worshiped, and that is an important one. But to witness effectively, to actually be a witness, you must have met Jesus yourself. Like the hymn writer, Clara Williams, who wrote long ago these words, Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I now am saved. Obviously, Clara Williams meant Jesus Or Chris Tomlin in his rework of the old hymn, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Chris Tomlin obviously has had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You ever watch Judge Judy? Maybe you wouldn't admit it to people if you do, but... We occasionally pick her up during the summer hour, but I think, she sh- I think it's time she quit. It-, it seems to me she starts out most of the cases before she's already angry. Seems like she's assuming that those standing before her will say about anything to win the day, and she really does know human nature well. And she's, she's intolerant of deceit and half-truths and evasiveness, And on her way to finding the truth, she is relentless about who can and who cannot be a witness in her court. 
Often a hand is raised. Come on now, you've seen her too. Hand is raised by a family or member or a friend, and they want to say something to give evidence. And Judge Judy always has the same questions for them after saying, put that hand down. She'll say, were you there? Did, did you see the incident take place? Did you hear what was said? And if the answer comes back in the negative, she will say, sit down, you have nothing to say. And when it comes to this matter of speaking a word for Jesus, to giving a witness, if you have no impersonal encounter with Jesus Christ, you have nothing to say. To witness effectively isn't possible unless you've met Jesus. And we go back to Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, would Isaiah ever have gone out to share the word with lost Israel if he had not had that awesome encounter with the living God? To witness for Jesus Christ isn't possible unless you've met Jesus. Here's a second one, a second thing we can learn to help us all be an effective witness. It's a verbal thing. It's a verbal thing. All four of these witnesses spoke. John the Baptist to his two disciples said, there he is, there's the Lamb of God. Andrew to his brother, we have found the Messiah. Philip to his friend Nathaniel, come and see for yourself. The woman at the well in Samaria went, goes back into town and it says to everyone, her neighbors and friends, she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. An effective witness speaks. There's no question now that when you speak, your words must be backed by your life. In other words, yes, we do. It's important to walk the walk. And if you don't walk the walk, probably you shouldn't try to talk the talk. But walking alone is not an effective witness. And yet people will say, well, well I, I don't say much about my faith, but people out there, they know what I stand for. No, they don't. No, they don't. Have you ever heard of a witness being called to a stand in a courtroom who was mute? Witnesses speak. Or can you imagine if a lawyer calls a witness to the stand and and the, and the judge says, you're a witness to the lawyer. And he says, well, I have no questions. I just, want, I just want the folk in the court to look at him. No, a witness, a witness speaks. Pastor was visiting a lady one day who professed to be a Christ follower. But in the course of the conversation, the lady says to the pastor, Pastor, I, I'm a believer, but I'm what you would call a silent witness. Now, a silent witness, that's an oxymoron, right? You can't put silent and witness together. They contradict each other. But she goes on, says, I'm a silent witness. I let my life do the speaking. I simply cannot speak about my faith. Well, soon the subject changed, and the lady's yard was full of ducks, ponds full of ducks, yard full of ducks, like, I guess, old McDonald's farm here, a quack, there a quack, everywhere a quack, quack. Well, the pastor commented to her, "Man, you certainly have a, you, ma'am, you certainly have a lot of ducks around here." Well, ten minutes later, she was talking ducks, mallard ducks, and black ducks, and wood ducks, and pintail ducks. 
And 20 minutes later, it was canvasback ducks and redhead ducks and ringneck ducks. And 30 minutes later, it was ducks, domestic ducks, wild ducks, ruddy ducks, mottled ducks. And finally, the pastor could hear it no longer. And he interrupted her and said, Ma'am, I believe if you had as much Jesus in you as you have duck in you, you would be able to speak a word for Jesus. To witness effectively, it is a verbal thing. And here's, here's number three. To witness, to speak a word for Jesus Christ is a spontaneous thing. Now, this should be a very freeing, very freeing truth for those of you listening to me today who think that uh, I really need to be prepared to do this. I must spend time preparing if I'm ever going to be a witness. Well, I say to you, to be an effective witness, it's a spontaneous thing. All four of our, of our witnesses that we're looking at today, all they did was react naturally to their circumstances. They, they made making an observation, re responding to a comment spontaneously. All four of them, John, Andrew, Philip, and the woman, reacted reacted as spontaneously as if some most fortunate circumstance had just befallen them, and of course it had. Acts chapter 4 records an incident when the apostles Peter and John were arrested for preaching about Jesus. Upon their release, they were said, now we're letting you go under this one condition, never again speak the word of Jesus. And Peter came right back with these words, we can't help it. We can't help speaking about everything that we have seen and heard. It just, what's he saying? He's saying it just sort of bubbles up in it, in us. His name just comes up. You might as well try to stop the sun from shining. You might as well try to stop the river from flowing. It's a spontaneous thing. It just finds, he just, Jesus just finds his way onto our tongue. It's a spontaneous thing. Pastor Wallace Hostsetter of Rochester, Michigan, went for a haircut one day, and his barber was a young woman. And in the course of the conversation, he mentioned that he was a pastor, and later in the day, he would be performing a funeral. The young lady replied and said, Once I was supposed to cut a, a dead man's hair, and they were going to be, pay me $150, but I just couldn't do it. Says the pastor, Why not? Well, she said, I don't like to touch the dead, I'm afraid they will sit up, said the pastor. I know one who did. She said, oh, you're kidding. No, he said, I'm not. And then he told her about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when his haircut was done, she asked, are you coming back here to have your haircut again? He said, yes, I'll come back. She said, I would like to hear I would like to hear more about that. Hear me today. To witness effectively. It, it's, a, it's a spontaneous thing. If it burns in you, how can you not speak about what he's done for you? What's in your heart ends up on your tongue naturally, spontaneously. Here's number four. I have five truths for you today. Here's four. To witness effectively doesn't require a theology degree. 
You don't need to have been to a Bible college or a seminary. Of our four witnesses, John, Andrew, Philip, and the Samaritan woman, from all we know about them, were obviously uneducated folk. The only qualification, so it seems, that these four witnesses had, the only qualification they had was this, they had met Jesus. How often have I heard this through the years? Well, I, I really can't be a witness. I can't, uh, I don't know the scriptures very well, don't know the Bible. Listen to me this day, listen to me. Witnessing's not lecturing. To be an effective witness is not about teaching, it's not about counseling, it's not about preaching, it's not about teaching. Witnessing is telling about your encounter with Jesus Christ. I met Jesus and he changed my life. In John chapter 9, we find the story where Jesus met a man born blind. And Jesus says, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud out of the spit and, and then put it on the man's eyes, told the man to go wash it off. And when he did, the mud dropped off and his eyes opened and he saw. And he began to tell what happened. Well, who wouldn't? Wouldn't you? And the Pharisees, Jesus' opponents, the religious leaders of the day, they were furious that the man was claiming to be healed by this Galilean teacher. And they put the questions to this man. Well, who is this man? Do you think this man is from God? Isn't he an ordinary man? He's just another sinner, isn't he? They were saying to the man, and the man replied, well, guys, back in the Old Testament book of Hezekiah, chapter 6, it's, no, no, he didn't do that. And there isn't a book of Hezekiah anyway. The man replied, basically, if I, could, if I could paraphrase what that man said back to those Pharisees, he said, I don't know about all of this theology stuff that you seem to know about, but this I know, I once was blind, and now I see. Can you say that? Can you? An effective witness doesn't, it doesn't require a theology degree. I have one more lesson for you this day from our four effective witnesses, and here's the last, the fifth. Here it is. Being an effective witness, witnessing out there for him, speaking his name, telling people, I once was lost and now and found, it may not yield, it may not yield desired results. The Samaritan woman went back to her village the word tells us, saying, I meant Jesus. I meant this Jesus, come and see. And the next verse says that people came streaming from the village to see him. And that's all some did. That's all they did. They just came and saw him. Some of them were curiosity seekers only. But some, like this woman, the scripture says, many of them believed Many of them, not all of them, but many of them believed and followed Jesus. But sadly, perhaps, no doubt, many did not. So hear this truth today. To witness effectively may not yield desired results. Our task is to witness, is to say his name and leave the results with God. It may not yield desired results or it may bear fruit Months, years, and maybe even decades later, hear this truth. In this matter of speaking Jesus' name, 
in this matter of telling people I met Jesus and he changed my life, in this matter of witnessing, the only failure is to fail to witness. And don't we all have family members and loved ones and relatives and neighbors and people we work with and friends who do not know him? And we may be the key in their ever coming to know Jesus. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, famous evangelist, said that the New Testament records of 40 different people, each suffering from the same disease, who were healed by Jesus Christ. Of this 40, 34 were either brought to Jesus by friends or he was taken to them. In only six cases did they find their way to Jesus without friends. Nothing's changed today. Of the vast number of people who come to know Jesus Christ as Savior today, they find their way to him because of friends of Jesus. John chapter 10 is often referred to as the good shepherd passage. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd and us as his sheep. This happened right after Jesus healed the blind man and he spoke these words. He said, I am, I am the door for the sheep. He didn't say, I am one of the doors. He said, I am the door. Other places he affirmed this same truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Hear me. If he's the door, if he's the only door, isn't, isn't it everyone's business? Isn't it our business to help lost people find that door? Sam Shoemaker was an American Episcopal pastor from over a half a century ago. He was one of the key keys in, in getting Alcoholics Anonymous off the ground and started. Several of the phrases in the 12 steps came from Sam Shoemaker. He was a great man to help people through the door into the kingdom. And he wrote a little poem called, So I Stay Near the Door, and it goes like this. I stay near the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. And there's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they as much as I crave to know where the door is and all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be they creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched groping hands feeling for a door knowing there must be a door and yet they never find it so I stay near the door the most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing anyone can do is take a hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the person's own touch. 
People die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find that door and open it and walk in and find him. So I stay near the door. I pledge to you today that I'm going to spend more time at the door. Will you join me? I'm going to pray a prayer now. It's my prayer for me. And the words of my prayer will appear in the screen. Will you pray? Can this prayer of mine be a prayer for you too? Let's pray. Father, may I have a fresh encounter with you so so like Isaiah of old, I might also say, here am I, send me. Send me to those in my world, in my circle of contacts and family and friends in my world who do not know you. Let me see folk around me through your eyes. Give me opportunities to speak for you and give me the courage to speak up when I'm inclined to be silent and say those life-saving words, I met Jesus and he changed my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.